Good morning. This is Adolph Mongo. This is Detroit in Black and White with uh, co-host, attorney, and political consultant, Vanessa Moss. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Alan Langle from Deadline Detroit, former Washington Post writer, uh, Detroit News, Eagle American, Royal O'Kelly Tribune. Paperboy did it all. Yeah. Before we get started, I just wanted to uh, say uh, uh, sorry to hear about your brother, Vanessa, her brother, uh, Carmichael, named after the famed activist and black power advocate, Stokely Carmichael, passed away uh, this week. Uh, He's been in uh, ill health for a while. Uh, Good guy. Uh, I read your... uh, I read your obituary that you put together. You know, you obituaries is the last thing you read about uh, uh, on people, and it it was real touching. Got to know him, so mm-hmm. our condolences to yeah. you and your family. Thank you. Um, we were talking before Aaron, and something that Alan said uh, resonated is that you know we prepare to lose our parents, but you don't prepare to lose your siblings. And, uh, you know, the last 17 months have been very difficult, but it was just he and I. So even though I have you guys, I have cousins and, you know, um, uncles and things like that. I call them uncle brother. It's nothing like a sibling and you're never prepared to um, face losing your sibling, especially your only sibling at this point. Because it was three of us, but, you know, I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest and the only one left, but that's okay. He's not suffering anymore. Okay. Well, well let's get right in into the show. Uh outrage of the week. I'll go first because I, I, I don't want anybody to have this one. <laughs> in Tennessee, uh at, at State House, they've been debating on uh how to execute folks. They don't think you know, uh firing squad, uh injection, etc. But we had a state rep, Republican, says we need to just go back to what we used to do. Hang them by a tree. So like when uh, and, and, and Tennessee had about 500 lynchings of black men between the 1890s and 1950. So uh, not only was the black elected officials uh, outraged, but you know, people in general is like, where is this guy coming from? You know, he said he was misquoted, and it, it, of course, he didn't uh, 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 intend to uh, talk about uh, the dark days of uh, lynching black people, but he did. And, and here we are, it took, uh, 2023, and we still, it's the same old bullshit. Uh, that these uh, Republicans and other uh, racist bigots, whatever you want to call them, they are advocating. 
We even got one running for president. Oh, two running for president. Right. Okay. So, all right. That's my outrage, uh, Alan. Your outrage. Okay. My 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 outrage. Uh, you know, we keep seeing uh, the uh, the Republicans, kind of the nutty Republicans, uh, like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was blaming. There was a Michigan woman complaining that uh, that she lost two sons uh, through through fentanyl. fentanyl. Through, through fentanyl, and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene said, well, you know, uh, Joe Biden is to blame for that. And uh, it happened in 2020 when Joe Biden wasn't president. And then, you know, same thing happened with Lauren Boebert. She blamed the COVID lockdown, the school lockdowns on Biden in 2020. Right. Trump, Trump was president. And it goes on and on, you know, with all these. And, and it happened with Obama, you know. Obama got into office and, and people would blame him for stuff that happened in 2008 when Bush was still president. I mean, you know, get your, if you want to attack somebody, at least get your facts correct. Uh, they just look stupid, which is not very hard for them these days. But but but, you know, uh, when they talked about the Obama phones, they talk about giving away phones to uh, people that can't afford a regular phone bill that came under that came under Reagan, right? And under then the Reagan administration started phone. giving away the free phones. Right. But, but right. Obama got blamed for the free phones. Uh, if you ask somebody, did do you want government handouts? You want the mm-hmm. government to pay you? Uh, right. No, we don't want anything from the government. But if you say, let's take your uh, Social Security and your Medicaid. Uh, card, they go crazy. Right. right. Can't right. have it both but, ways. By the way, we have Eric and Bruce uh, in in the back uh, waiting to come on. So whenever we're ready, but go ahead. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's let, let's let, let, uh, Eric Sabri, the treasurer. Yes, I think Vanessa wants to. Uh, Am I going to do an outrage or no? Yeah, you do the outrage, and then we'll go to our guest. You can we can bring Bruce on right now. All right. Okay, we got Bruce. Let's see. Here we uh, go. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How you guys doing? We, you know, we getting a little kinks out. This is this is new for us, Detroit in black and white. We we're not in a radio uh, studio, but we we about to move into a studio. We still okay. gonna do. Uh, our Zoom type of stuff, uh, but this is new, and welcome uh, to the revised Detroit in black and white. We can do what we want to do now. And well, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be with you all. Uh, good. Uh, I'm going to go to Vanessa, and, and we'll do the outrage. Okay, so I had two outrages. One is I'm outraged for the people who remain without power last week, and those who now are out of power, you know, the new people that are out of power for uh, the storm that we had yesterday. My outrage is that DTE, who made $1.2 million and has a rep, uh, you're going up in prices uh, as of March 1st, you know, our uh, bills are going to go up higher. The rate is going up a little bit higher on March the 1st, that you had the unmitigated gall to say we're going to give you $35 and then you have to prove and apply for $35. Now, 
That is outrageous. And what about the people who have been, I've had a couple of clients who could not even appear in court because they were still without power from last week. You mean to tell me these? It's some of these people don't even have money to go to hotels. Or yeah, they've been sleeping in that car. How, yeah. yeah. How, the, how the hell can you explain and, and, and make it seem okay to give people $35? That is outrageous. Yeah. That is my outrage. My other yeah. outrage, I was listening to, uh, um, I listened to, uh, you know, a lot of news outlets, but NPR. And in Idaho, the abortion ban, so the abortion ban, these doctors, even with the exceptions, these doctors can still be charged with a felony, but they have to assert an affirmative defense as soon as they're charged in order to maybe overcome having a felony conviction and going to prison. If that is not outrageous, I don't know what is. And this, and as you say, Adolf, these are the things that we're dealing with. It's crazy. I, I was going to say, DTE is, keeps keeps saying. I mean, the answer in a lot of these instances is to put the the, the power lines underground, uh, you know, and not and and they keep saying it's too expensive. And now I think they're finally saying, yeah, maybe we're gonna, you know, take a look at it, but. Uh, yeah, that's you know, we can't keep, you know, I mean, how many times are people out of, it's it's a frequent thing. And I mean, we have, so, so weather. if I could, if I can just interject for one second, first, Vanessa, to your point, um, if there's anyone still without power that you represent or have contact with, I would love to have their information. Okay. We have a direct line in contact to, to DTE. Of course, it's a corporation and it's not a city department. Right. However, it is uh, an entity uh, that we correspond with very frequently um, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, and so if there's someone who still has an, a DTE issue, we're more than happy to uh, troubleshoot that for them. That's literally what we do. So if you can just text over Vanessa their information to me, I'll make sure that someone gets uh, in contact with them today and uh, we'll get their power restored. Did you get a lot of calls uh, from uh, city residents, Bruce? Um, There were some calls that came in for sure, and certainly, um, I mean, just people I I knew, you know, I had family. So I was out of town (laughs) last week, and um, fortunately for me, I missed it, and my power didn't go out. But... um, my father, he lost power. My sister, I mean, number of, of friends and family. So a lot of people were affected. Fortunately enough, uh, my house was empty because I was traveling and uh, my father was able to stay here. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of people affected. And um, the deputy ombudsman, Ms. Bernard, uh, Gail Bernard, um, she handles all of that. And I know she was busy. Uh, as far as routing, you know, some DTE concerns. But like I said, Vanessa, uh, most importantly, one, make sure those people have their power restored. Um, if I can, my outrage. Go ahead. Um, you may have talked about it last week, but I still think it's worth talking about. And it is the, the chemical waste from Palestine, Ohio, that was brought here to Michigan. Now you got, now, if you're not familiar geographically, uh Palestine is is close bordering Illinois. Right. And then if you go eastward, you got West Virginia right there. How they thought 
to come to Romulus, Michigan to, to dispose of that waste. Waste, by the way, which this, uh, this president and this administration in the White House is doing a horrible job of servicing the citizens down there in Ohio. But don't bring the waste here. And then when it gets here, no one knows nothing. Oh, we didn't know this was happening. And I'm going to take it a step further. Um, the the head of the energy uh, department is our former governor. Not the EPA who made the call, but right. she's the head of the energy department for the United States government. But she's our former governor. Right. So there's no way that that uh, chemical waste should have been brought here to Michigan, Wayne County, i.e. Romulus. Um, right. Ex extremely disappointed and outraged about that. And well, you know, our former governor said uh, during her last term, she was going to blow us away. So she's still blowing the state of Michigan away uh, with her policies. I don't know how she finagled her way into the administration. That was a bad hire. But, but uh, he made a couple, uh, several bad hires. Pete uh, over at the transportation, Pete vice president. I, you know, I can name it. You know, Grandpa, uh, he, 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 he's doing his thing. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, I think I guess Eric Brown. And we're going to continue. We've to got Eric Sabri. Uh, oh, wait, Eric Sabri. Okay. Yep. We've got Eric we'll coming. So we'll do a commercial. And then yeah, we'll, we'll bring the on. treasure on. And All we'll right. Talk about, uh, all right. I'm Wayne County Treasurer Eric Sabri. There are payment plans available to help save your property. Visit our website at treasurer.waynecounty.com or email us at taxinfo at waynecounty.com for further information. We're here to help. Okay, and, and with that, we bring him on. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Treasurer, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Doing well. How you doing? Well, well doing fine, yeah. and, and and welcome to uh, Detroit in Black and White. Uh, we we're doing our podcast now, and it, it's great to have you on and yeah. to be able to see you. Congratulations on the podcast. Well, thank I'm you. I'm happy, happy to be with you. This, you've this been morning. you've been a, a great supporter of the show. Also, you've been a. a, 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 a the wealth of information that come out of your office uh, helps a lot of people in Wayne County. What's what's happening these days in Wayne? Well, we have we have a deadline on March thirty first for people to uh, get out of tax foreclosure, and the deadline is March thirty first. That's not my deadline; it's the state deadline. It's uh, for all treasurers in the state of Michigan. March thirty first is 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 when foreclosure takes place. If you don't pay your twenty twenty property taxes or prior year taxes, or you're not in a payment agreement, then your property will be uh, get foreclosed. And that's what we're working really hard now to let people know that there's there's funds available. And I'll talk about uh, a couple of these funds. One is the Michigan Homeowner Assistance Fund. This is a fund that is fe it's federal money. So it means that your tax dollars are available through the state of Michigan to help you pay not only your uh, taxes, back taxes from 2019, 20, 21, and 22. Also, you're, you're behind in your mortgage payments, utility bills, uh, your internet services, and your homeowner insurance. You can get up to $25,000 in grant money to pay these bills. The, the money gets uh, sent to 
whoever you owe the money to. You know, it doesn't get you don't get twenty five thousand dollar check, but your taxes could get paid. We've already helped thirty three hundred people in Wayne County with this program. Uh, spent about twelve million dollars so far to get uh, back taxes paid. Now, what? How do you qualify? Well, you have to have you have to be within one hundred and fifty percent of the area median income, which is about ninety two thousand dollars a year for a family of two in Wayne County. You have to suffer some type of hardship because of COVID. And most people have had a decrease in their income, increase in their expenses, or have had some sickness or illness in the family or, or even themselves that they had a hardship because of COVID. So the application can be filed just by dialing 211. 211. You can dial 211 and apply for Michigan Homeowner Assistance Fund. That's, that's available. You have to be an owner-occupant. If you're living in a home that you don't own, you're not eligible for this program. You have to be an owner. You have to have the deed in your name, and you have to live in the property. Also, you can apply for an exemption if your income is very low. Every city and township has an exemption program. It's uh, mandated by state law that if you have very low income, you could be exempt from property taxes. The only other uh, individual who can be exempt from property taxes other than very low income individuals, 100% disabled veterans. You have 100% disability from the military, you can apply for an exemption from property taxes as well. You have to go to, yeah, you got to go to your local assessor's office and then and fill out a form and, and ask for a property tax exemption if you're a 100% disabled veteran. Uh, if you're low income, you, every, every uh, municipality has different guidelines, but uh, Detroit has 100% exemption. They also have a 50% and a 25% exemption. If you qualify for any of those exemptions, you become exempt and you have back taxes already from previous years, then you can get those reduced through a pay-as-you-stay program. And if you live in Detroit, again, the Dan Gilbert Foundation is paying off whatever balance that you would have left. So if you qualify for an exemption in the, in the city of Detroit and you have back taxes from previous years, then you can end up with a zero balance. Uh, of your taxes. How, how many people do you think are, are taking advantage of all these programs? Well, well 11,000 people have taken advantage of the exemption in the, in the pay-as-you-stay program, and 3,300 people have already taken advantage of Michigan Homeowner Assistance Fund. So these individuals have taken action and done something. And last year, we had we said all you had to do was apply for the program, the Michigan Homeowner Assistance Fund, and make an application and let us know before March 31st your property would be removed from foreclosure. But we still had 378 owner-occupants get foreclosed. And how, so how, how many, any idea how many this time around, how many are uh, in in, in we, jeopardy? We, we still, at this point, I think when I was checking Tuesday of this week, we have our staff meeting. We still had about 5,000 uh, owner-occupied properties in Wayne County. Wow. But that, number, that number drastically, you know, will go down. But right. still, and you know, that's still too many. It's lower than it was this time last year. Yeah. But because the last minute, people, a lot of people come in the last minute, you know, get into payment agreements or apply for the programs. Same thing this year. If you're a new applicant, all you have to do is apply for the uh, Michigan Homeowner Assistance Fund and your property will be removed from foreclosure. Eric, I have two questions. One, how far back, because you said they, you, there's a possibility that your uh, back taxes previous to 2020 could be forgiven. How far back does it go? That's one. And two, 
um, course, notifying people like you do on our show. Um, what other kind of um, medium are you using to notify people about these programs? Okay. Uh, number one, a question you asked about how far back. There's two different programs. The one where the uh, we talked about the exemption, that it does no limit to years, how many okay. years it goes back. Uh, as far as the, the MIHAF or Michigan Homeowner Assistance Fund, it goes back to 2019, 2019, 20, 21, and 22. There's some, there's some real uh, effort going on lobbying um, from some of our members in Congress and others, including myself, to go back further than 2019. But this hasn't happened. It, it may happen at the last minute, but uh, as, as of now, it's uh, 2019, 20, 21, and 22. Now, as far as what we do uh, to let other people know, we have <clears throat> we do our regular media. Uh, we have about uh, twelve different community newspapers. We got we have TV, radio commercials. We go on like podcasts like this. We also have community groups. We have five different groups out um, knocking on doors, calling people, sending out letters, letting people know that their, their property is in danger. And uh, we also have said we opened up Saturday hours in our office. Starting uh, two weeks ago, and we're open eight to two on Saturdays, and uh, you still have to make an appointment. So we—that's uh, what we're doing. We, we had—we went to the beauty shops and barbershops this week and, and pro- dropped off flyers for uh, the My Half program, the Homeowner Assistance Fund, as well as uh, these. Uh, we have a little QR code I have here. Uh, you can look on there and, and scan that if you can get if you can see it. Mm-hmm. You can look up your property tax information. With that, um, just by putting your phone up there to the QR code. Okay. And uh, so we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot, but you know, it seems like it's never enough. Right. How how some people just you know how they fall through system and don't you know we don't hear from them. Another thing that's important uh, to know: there are a lot of people who live in homes that they don't own. Right. Their property has to go through probate court. And they have to file a petition in probate. But if they file a petition in probate court and let us know, right. that property will be taken out of foreclosure, right, right away. But they have to tell us because we 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 won't we don't know. Um, unlike bankruptcy, when someone files bankruptcy, we get a notification from the uh, bankruptcy court, and so we know when somebody files bankruptcy, <clears throat> that automatically takes their property out of foreclosure. But with probate, we have to be notified um, by the person who actually files a petition. So, Mr. Treasurer, sure. Bruce Simpson, City Ombudsman. Um, quick question on that on that point. Uh, what prevents the court from notifying you, probate court? In that instance, is it a is it a limited resources administratively? Is it uh, is it some uh, statute that says the notice has to come from uh, the individual? Uh, what's limiting the court, the probate court's ability to notify you, the treasurer, to say, hey? This person is engaged uh, in a probate court process. Well, that would that would have to be two things would have to happen. The probate court, of course, would have to know right. that the person is in danger of foreclosure. Okay, that, that's number one. And then, of course, then the probate court would, would could notify us. So right. it's nothing in the it's nothing in the probate in the rules, court rules, or, or statute that would require the court probate court to do that. But that doesn't mean that it can't happen. And let, and let me say this because I do practice probate as well. That usually 
in circumstances like this, as if you have retained an attorney, we automatically know that we need to notify um, their the treasurer's office that this property is in probate. That that is when it's when it's in court, we notify. Okay. And that's usually what happens. People do they do notify as most people do. But we had we had a couple of cases where uh, family members, like uh, grandchildren or children, didn't know. They thought that by filing a probate petition, it automatically uh, took the property out of out of foreclosure. Yeah, those were impropers. Those were people that were represented by counsel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they they improper. They they went in, filed their own petition, and they thought after they did that, everything right. was fine. Right. And, now, who? Someone asked, who is the county equalizer? Uh, not sure what that question is, but uh, would you know? You're talking about it's a Scott Vent. Uh, Scott, uh, let's see, what is his last name? He's the uh, the assess the assessment equalization director. Yes, he, he, I in um, first name is Scott. Okay, and right. um, I, could, I I have to look it up. Yeah, look up okay. his last name. Now, even after say somebody's uh, uh, property in foreclosure, is there a way to still uh, get some money out of uh, your 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 property? Yes. What happens? Uh, the law changed in 2020. The Supreme Court had a case go go before it, which was a, a Raffaelli versus Oakland County. The case was. Uh, happened because Oakland County foreclosed on someone for $8.30 or something like that. And uh, what they did, they, they uh, sold it for over $30,000. <clears> so the uh, person, uh, the, the tax, former taxpayer says, look, I, uh, the, the state, the, the government, the county stole my equity that I had in the property. I owed them $8 and whatever interest it was. And then they sold it got their taxes, but they didn't, they, they, they shouldn't be able to keep all that money. So it went all the way to the Supreme Court, Michigan Supreme Court, and this court ruled in favor of Mr. Raffaelli and said that you have to give up the equity. You have to, you have to give the, what they call excess proceeds to individuals who, and there's a process for getting that money. And here's what it is. If you lose your property foreclosure, you have between April 1st and July 1st. The statute was amended, and it's 211.78T, Section T, which says that you have between April 1st and July 1st to fill out a form, which, which is on our website. It's a very simple form. I say it's simple, but, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not simple, but I, I, it's pretty simple to me. They just fill out the form, and you send it in to our office between April 1st and July 1st. We sent out postcards last year to 3,000. 700 uh, owners of property who got foreclosed. Vacant lot owners, abandoned house owners, owner occupants, rent or landlords. And we got back 275 forms of people claiming an interest in the excess proceeds. Um, so we have, here's, what, here's what happens. If you, I'll give you an example. It's the best way to describe it. If you lose your property for $5,000, and it sells in the auction for $40,000. Now the difference is $35,000. So we, the treasurer's office get to keep the $5,000 in taxes that was owed. We get to keep a 5% commission, which the statute gives to the treasurer's office. 
and we get to keep the expenses of the foreclosure process and the auction itself. So in this example, just say we got $2,000 for the commission, $2,000 for the expenses. So now it's up to $9,000. Let's make it $10,000 to make it even. So now that person will be eligible to receive $30,000. After the auction, we have to send the state a report of all the properties that were sold and what, what the- so, so, you, so they can get their money back. Uh, it's it's a it's a process though. They have to go. They have to file a petition in circuit court between uh, January, I think between uh, February first and May fifteenth, to say because the judge will have to decide if there's any other people out there who claim an interest. It could be a mortgage company or construction company had a lien or something on the property. So they have to decide is anybody else out there has an interest. If, if nobody else has an interest, then that money goes right to the former taxpayer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back and uh, continue the conversation with Eric Sabree, Wayne County Treasurer. All righty, let me All get right. to the uh, get uh, to the homeownership opportunities are rising in the city of Detroit, and there's a house out there that's right for you and your family. You don't even have to worry about credit or getting a loan. You can win a house for as little as $1,000 and pay for the renovation cost as you go. It all starts at buildingdetroit.org and the Detroit Land Bank Authority. Our auction and own it now programs offer a variety of houses and neighborhoods all over the city of Detroit. These homes are in desperate need of repair and new ownership. You can begin by going to our interactive map and detailed property listings to find the right fit for you. It won't be easy, and renovation costs are not cheap, but our compliance team is there every step of the way. We will help you track your progress and connect you with local discounts to save you more money. We have already sold more than 15,000 homes in the city of Detroit, and our inventory is shrinking fast, so you don't want to miss out on this wonderful opportunity. Start your home buying journey today by visiting buildingdetroit.org. Okay, we're back. Uh, All right. Er, 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 Real quick. Uh, Karen has a question. She has a ball of confusion on purpose. Uh, is there a way that people can just come in and say, look, I don't know where to begin. I don't know how this, uh, what kind of guidance can they get? I mean, uh, we can give them the form. We can give them the form and show them how to fill it out. It's okay. also on our website. So it's, it's, uh, if the people are confused about the form, they can come in and we'll help them show them how to fill it out. Okay. And, and that's, uh, that's that's what we can do. That's you you would done. think uh, you sent out three thousand uh, notices of foreclosure uh, property that you get more than two hundred uh, uh, people uh, saying, "Okay, I want some of it. I want some of my money." Right. Well, Mr. Treasurer, we actually assisted someone in our office uh, through Mr. Cavalli, uh, who basically walked us through it how that process works and what it looks like. Uh, you are correct. It is pretty simple. Yeah, okay. it's, uh, Some people have already this year have already conceded that they're not going to pay the taxes and they're going to lose their property. They've already sent us forms in already for this what? year. So. Wow. Well, you know. What, uh, so I, I know your time is tight, uh, Mr. Treasurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, how do they get in contact with the treasurer's okay. office, the numbers, okay. websites, et cetera? I'll give you information. It's uh, the three things, three ways to reach us. Is the, the website is the best because there's a lot of information there and also helps you to set up appointments, which you have to do to come in. 
It's a treasurer.waynecounty.com. That's treasurer.waynecounty.com. And the, the, the information you can you can reach, get on the website. It covers the everything that we're doing in the office. Um, and also, you can email us at taxinfo at waynecounty.com, T-A-X-I-N-F-O at waynecounty.com. And our phone number is 313-224-5990. 313-224-5990. If you send an email to us, then we will get back to you within two days. Uh, are you having any community meetings in, in the near future? Yes. Uh, every Wednesday, we have a Ask the Treasurer session on, on uh, online. It's, uh, it's on our website. The link is on the website. It's, uh, usually, we do it once a month on Wednesdays, but on third Wednesday, but we're doing it every Wednesday throughout <clears throat> March. And uh, it's 6 o'clock till 8 o'clock, we answer questions. And also we have people putting information in the chat so that they can uh, access uh, the options, different ways that they can save their property. Okay. Okay. Uh, Eric Sabri, Wayne County Treasurer. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. I'm going to have you, you back again. And, and, and thanks for being a guest of Detroit in Black and White. Thank you. You're doing a great job. I like the podcast. Thank you. Well, Treasure. thank you. Treasurer. Treasurer Sabri. Yes. Before you, before you go, I want to follow up on that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago. I think All you right. know what I'm talking about. We'll yes. talk offline. Okay. Very good. All right. All right. Okay. Take Thanks care. So much. Great day. Thank you. Yeah. Well, right. well I, I, it, this is it, uh, right now. We go right to you, Bruce. We got it. Our- business office. Well, this is budget season. Uh, this is very important for our residents. Uh, our intentions as a city, our priorities as a city, uh, what we place value in is all articulated and identified in the budget. You know, show me what you're putting your money behind and I'll show you uh, what your priorities are. So for our citizenry, I encourage them to tune in. Uh, The mayor introduced the budget yesterday at 10 a.m. in the committee of the whole. Um, I will save my opinions of said budget. Uh, Part of my job is to analyze that budget, and I'm doing just that. Uh, Also, uh, on Tuesday, the state of the city, which kind of gives you a look at what is coming up and what has been accomplished thus far, uh, will be taking place. All those things are important um, information uh, for our citizenry. Uh, In addition to that, I want to report that on the 16th of February, we had a couple hundred of our community leaders from around the city gather. It's something I promoted heavily on your on your show. Um, And and we had a couple hundred uh, community leaders gather to take note of what was uh, the Detroit Lifeline program, which is an affordable, um, affordable water program program. So it's a water program based on your income, something that Detroiters have been asking for for years. So so there's no longer any excuse for anyone to get a water shut off. As soon as you enter into the program uh, and and put an application on file, it removes you from any water shut off uh, uh, action. You also have the ability to erase prior debts. I mean, it's a a pretty remarkable plan. It's currently being subsidized heavily by the state and the feds. Um, But it's something that we felt we had to spread the word about because 
uh, we need it to work. If it works, they'll continue to fund it. If they continue to fund it, uh, those who are living uh, below the poverty line or on a fixed income uh, can continue to receive uh, subsidized service. How do people hear about that? You know, you you talk about, especially in a city like Detroit, you, you got folks that don't have water, can't flush mm -hmm. the toilet. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how they live in, but yeah. so those are the ones that need to uh, uh, really have access to uh, some type of program like that. Listen, so the reason we gathered the leadership was so that they could disseminate that information throughout their respective communities. Everyone that was on that call, we we have respect and love for all of our residents, but we asked the leadership to come so that they could reach out to their individual communities. So there should have been that night alone, no less than um, no less than 200 persons who are in a leadership capacity, whether that's a block club, a community organization or association um, that would have disseminated that information. But the water department itself, to its credit, has spent, I think, uh, over $750,000 alone just marketing this. And so uh, through word of mouth, through when I go to meetings, uh, I'm taking a flyer with me. Uh, every time to inform the public and asking them to distribute distribute it uh, to those that they know need help. So we're doing everything we can, uh, both by way of paper, because some people don't have access to, to the Internet. There is still a digital divide. Um, so every way that we can, uh, there are even door to door efforts, efforts that I know the water department has engaged in and they're targeting people based on the data that they have. They know who needs this service. So it's a, a very well thought out um, and, and thus far executed plan. Uh, I, I Look, I am very critical of the administration when necessary. However, if there's something that needs to be disseminated to the people and that can be to their benefit, then I'm going to work with them in order to make sure that our residents get that information. So that's a huge thing that we did on the 16th of February. Yeah. And I'll say that coming up, we have our annual report, which we will produce March 27th at 10 a.m. in the Committee of the Whole to the Honorable City Council, uh, which will be full of our new recommendations, budget analysis, and overall uh, work that we've done for the, the previous year. Yeah, so uh, have you been, uh, uh, do you have a way of monitoring how many people uh, are going to be, be affected by that program that's going to be able to uh, actually? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we the people, uh, Monica Lewis-Patrick, we the people, okay. um, DWSD, myself, and Wayne <clears throat> Metro, um, have all uh, been meeting on a pretty regular basis. And Wayne Metro has been gracious enough to share the metrics um, and their data with us to show us how many people have uh, filed, how many people have been accepted, how many people didn't qualify because of income. They don't qualify for that plan. There's a 10 a 10%, 30%, 50% program that they may be eligible for. So all of that information um, is provided to us on a reg pretty regular basis by Wayne Metro, the actual applicant taker. So it, for anyone listening, if you know someone that needs that program, um, the, the best way, in my opinion, is to file online uh, with Wayne Metro. 
If you don't have access to the internet, you can certainly call Wayne Metro. Okay. Bruce, I, I do have a question. Yes. Uh, earlier today, you told me to forward any, you know, people that I have come in contact with. I've had some clients that don't have power. Mm -hmm. I give them your personal number because I have that mm -mm. in the chat, but you uh -huh. put it in the chat what it is so that I can send it to them. Yeah, no, I'll, Adolf, 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 send her my number. Vanessa, you don't have my number? I have your personal cell number. Right, right, right. I'm telling you, send me their information. Oh, see, okay, that's what I'll do. If, if okay. you send me, if you send me their name and telephone number, that's all I need. I don't need all the okay. details because we'll get that from them today. Okay. But if you send me the name and the telephone number of the individuals, we'll follow up with them today and reach out to, uh, to DTE. I'm offering up the services of my deputy. She don't even know is, it yet. Is there is there a public number that we can post right now for, for people to call? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they can always call 313-224-6500. Uh -huh. uh -huh. That is our, our office number. Now, of course, we're not in the office on a Saturday, right. uh, but if you leave a message, we'll return that call on Monday. Um right. And you always have the ability to email us as well uh, whenever you're ready, Alan. All right. Let me post Okay. That. So, all right. Let's hold on uh, one sec. Let me post that first. And, and which, what's the email? It's ombudsman. Um, ombudsman. Uh huh. At Detroit. At Detroit. MI.gov. MI.gov. No, no, no period between Detroit and MI. Right. No, sir. Well, I just right. want to tell you, I was reading a, a New York Times article. Uh, what a Detroit native uh, and actor, Ted Simon. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you heard of him, right? Yep. Yeah, I, certainly I have. I've, yeah, I've heard yeah, of him. It, but this is a, interesting in his, uh, in his obituary that uh, they said his mother worked for the Detroit Ombudsman, retired from there. What? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So that had to be that had to be under uh, that had to be Forrest Green, Forrest Green or Maurice L. Donaldson. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing. So, yeah, I saw Ford. that. And said that uh, his his father was a professor, uh, college professor, but his mother worked for the city ombudsman office. I, I, yeah. Listen, um, that what is the ombudsman? That fraternal order is is is, is small. Um, there have only been five of us. And I, in one way or another, have had contact with every administration that has come uh, before me. I think it's important to know where you've been, to know where you want to go, um, and, and, and lean on and, and glean from that institutional knowledge. I'm never too proud or, or or arrogant to think that I know all um, some of the issues that I've run into certainly have been run into before. Well, I think um, I think the ombudsman office has been uh, has been a great help to the people of Detroit. We're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna wrap it up when we come back with Bruce uh, Simpson, the Detroit ombudsman. This is Detroit in black and white with the. Nearly 30,000 vacant lots all over the city of Detroit are for sale right now. That's right. Nearly 30,000 vacant lots are available now, starting at just $100. The lot next to your house or the lot down the street. Make it yours today in just a few simple clicks. 
Find out if it is available by visiting buildingdetroit.org. At the Detroit Land Bank Authority, side lots are just $100 and neighborhood lots sell for $250. You can apply and pay online today by visiting buildingdetroit.org. And if you don't see the lot you're looking for, call our offices. Our phone number is 313-974-6869. Again, that is 313-974-6869. We have already sold more than 21,000 vacant lots to Detroit homeowners. Make today your turn by visiting buildingdetroit.org. Okay, uh, we want to say we're here with uh, Vanessa Moss, uh, Alan Langley, and Bruce Simpson. Uh, I'm getting some texts. People are looking for us. They're looking for us. I had to tell them, here we are. <laughs> you got to go to Facebook. It's on, we have Facebook Detroit in black and white. It's also being broadcast on Deadline Detroit, uh, Deadline Detroit on Facebook, and two YouTube channels. Uh, uh, and Detroit we, black and, and white, and of, uh, and, uh, and deadline and uh, TikTok and all that other. Uh, we're not there yet. We're not I, on those. Some some some, some of the, yeah some some of the stream uh, platforms don't allow for for streaming like yeah. this. But uh, you can go. There is a a Facebook page, Detroit in black and white. You can go on the Deadline Detroit page. Uh, like I say, and also the same on YouTube. There's a, a YouTube channel. Uh, Detroit in black and white, and uh, so if I, a part of it is getting the word out to to people how to how to get on. So yeah, I'm getting text messages. They're like, "Where are you?" Problems? Yeah, they're having problems on Facebook. I don't know what that is all about. But. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll try to. Yeah, we'll try to <laughs> check that out. But you can it. also go to YouTube. Uh, the YouTube channel. So right. we're gonna call it growing pains. You know, it's the yeah. early, yeah. early yeah. stages. We're gonna get it together. But anyway, Bruce, be, uh, before we wrap this up, is that uh, you want to let our audience know what's up and coming uh besides the budget and our ombudsman office? Yeah, I mean start hitting the streets, knocking on the doors. Oh, we're doing that for sure. Listen, man, last year I thought, you know, we joked about it on the radio a little bit. Last year I was, you know, I was still thinking I was young and I was out there playing basketball and I tore my Achilles. <laughs> and so that kind of uh hampered me uh and prevented me from doing the door-to-door effort. But this year we will be going door to door and making our presence felt in the community. Uh we're not fearful of our people. Uh, we want to inform, educate, uh, touch, feel, deal with the hard questions that they may have, et cetera. Um, I think it's important when you're in a position of service, you have to do everything that you can to be as accessible as possible. So when the treasurer says that because their their deadline is at the end of this month, he increased his uh, his um, his uh, meetings from uh, twice a month to once a week. That's accessibility. He's giving you more access to him and the information. I think everybody should do that. So we believe in that as well. And so we'll be hitting the streets, certainly, Adolf. Uh, hopefully the weather will be what it needs to be in April. Well, you know, and no question. And before you go, I just want to say this is uh, Women's History uh, Month. <laughs> and, and I want to pay tribute to your grandmother and your mother, uh, Barbara Rose Collins, the late Barbara Rose Collins, a trailblazer in her own right, and your mother, Cynthia. Well, you know what? 
I'll know talk to play that game of politics too, bro. Yeah, I just real quick, I'll talk about my mother. Uh because a lot of people, you know, they know that Barbara Rose Collins is my grandmother. And by the way, that was never my calling card. For a lot of a lot of people, believe it or not, didn't know when I ran for Ombudsman. And I didn't I didn't want that to be the thing that uh, that they honed in on. But uh, my mother, uh, who was my first teacher, um, beautiful mind, uh, was a political strategist, someone you work closely with, yeah. um, understood her people, had a love for her people. So when you see me doing what I'm doing, I'm not only a reflection of Barbara Rose, but I'm a reflection of, of, of Big Bruce. I'm Little Bruce okay. in the family. I'm actually Little Bruce. And then I'm a reflection of Cynthia Lynn Simpson, um, who uh, left us at the age of 42. I'll turn 40 in, in March. Wow. So it kind of, to, to you know, identify how young she was when she left us, but she was so wise. Uh, why do I say that? Because she gave me information that I had no use for at the time as a young man. And so now I walk into situations and uh, life experiences that call for that advice uh, to be brought forward. And, and so I'm thankful to have her as long as I had her for those 20 years and the wisdom that she was able to share with me. And like I said, my love for our people uh, is deep rooted because it's something I grew up with. Okay. Well, Bruce Simpson, Detroit Ombudsman. Uh we're uh, glad to have you here and want to have you back and give us a, a weekly update of what's happening with the city because you have your pulse uh, uh, on the city. You get feet on the ground. Y'all know what's going on. Uh, and you keep everybody in check. And that's what the uh, uh, city council need. That's what the mayor's office need. You know, uh, otherwise they they out of control, you know. Uh, but anyway, Bruce Simpson. Thanks, thank Bruce. Thanks. All right, you guys have a good weekend. All right, you have a good one. Take care. Yeah, Bruce right. Simpson, Eric Sabri. Hey, listen, right. Now we've got Eric Brown here. You He's got waiting. Eric Brown. He's talking about another favorite topic that I hear all the time about literacy. Uh, here he is, Eric Brown, literacy advocate, etc. What, what state of literacy in, in, in Detroit and in southeastern Michigan? What is it, Eric? In one word, pathetic. Okay. Uh, can't make it no easier. And the sad part about it is so many people have allowed it to be pathetic for so many years. And what when we talk about pathetic, what kind of numbers are we talking about? You're talking about numbers where only less than 10% are proficient in reading going into the fourth grade. You have a you have an adult illiteracy rate of forty seven percent. So we talk about kids not learning. If the parents at home cannot assist them, you have a cyclical generational problem that's going to result in people not being able to provide for themselves once they do become adults. I mean, a good friend of mine he did an event not too long ago at Osborne High School. He involves the students. He wanted a, an 11th grader to assist him. And this person is one year removed from being an adult and out into society. She cannot even read. I'm a part of a program where we have a 10-year-old boy 
who at the age of 10, again, 10 years old, at the age of 10 does not know all of the alphabets. He only knows 17 or 26 of them. You know, and, and how, one of the how things is that? How does where that they going to school at, man? That kid, the ten year old, is in the school in Pontiac. The individual I got involved based on a an article six years ago. This no, yeah, six years ago this month. An article was in the Cranes Business Magazine about a young man by the name of Elijah Kraft, a twelfth grader over Detroit Central, reading at a first grade level. So you look at the 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, all these teachers pass them along. So the problem starts in the educational system. No matter how much they try to act like the new superintendent is doing this savior shit type um, job, he's not. And no one wants to talk about that. You have a lot of teachers in private conversations. They would talk about him and how much he's failing. But let the media tell it, particularly the white media, he's the savior for these black kids in Detroit. And we need to talk about that. We can't keep allowing people to be the so-called saviors when the proof is in the pudding that the failure is consistent. It has been consistent and no one is willing to talk about it. No, well, you know, the state. Oh, go ahead, Vanessa. You know what, Uh, Erica, what you said is absolutely correct. And it it was before Superintendent Beattie. Correct. I mean, listen, I was in the public school system late 80s, late 80s. And I too have a story of a student who was in the 11th grade. I'm not going to name him, but really, really nice young man. And he uh, could not read. It was very obvious that he could not read. And I was teaching um, history. And I'll never forget when I submitted grades, I was told that I had too many students that were not pivoting forward. And basically, uh, you need to reassess your grades. Well, this young man, very nice, ended up getting a job with um, the federal government um, because he knew somebody who was able to pull him in. Unfortunately, he could not keep his job because they found out that he was illiterate. So and so I'm talking about the late 80s. It, it, it is terrible. The school system has failed. You're absolutely correct, Eric. They don't want to talk about it. We see all these ribbon cuttings. We see all these wonderful things that's going on. But really, what difference does it make if you're producing, if you have product that can't do anything, that can't read, they can't even write a check, they can't do they can't even understand it. those people who want to go because a lot of them want to be entertainers, a lot of young people in this generation, you can't even read a contract, let alone understand it you'd be fantasia right who said she couldn't she got ripped off because she couldn't read and write but we had a hockey coach here alan uh what's his name jock demir what the red wing coach what was his name that was his name jock demir yeah he couldn't read now he was bilingual he couldn't Mm -hmm. read in french and he couldn't read in uh in english and his wife, he had he had he had people cover for him, and he coached how long? Forever, you know. My, my father had a had a bar at Grand River and Fourteenth Street, the Strand Lounge, and one of his managers was you know a grown man in his his forties was illiterate. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting the school system how you know it, it's failed so much. I remember in D.C. I was working at the Washington Post. I was doing a story on the Guardian Angels. 
I went to that one of the angels went to uh, the school to talk to the ninth grade class at Anacostia High School in Southeast DC. And at the end of the talk, he asked who would be interested. And it was a whole auditorium of kids and one person raised his hand. So afterwards, uh, I followed the guardian angel guy. He was talking to the sponsor of the ninth grade class. And she says, oh, you know, some of the kids are intimidated by the 19 year olds. And I look at her, I go, 19 year olds, what are you talking about? She goes, yes, we have 19 year olds in ninth grade. Well, if if that isn't uh, an indication of the failure of our system, when you have 19 year olds. Why would you put a a 19 year old in in a day school? Don't they have, that's adult. Yeah, I was baffled. I was baffled for the same reason. For the same reason, you have fifteen-year-olds in middle school. I mean, right. it's just a it's, it, the process. You know, I was at an event last night. You know, you had a guy that was wrongly convicted. His sentence was commuted after being in jail for twenty-eight years and nine months. And he talked specifically about the fact that he saw for himself. You know, you have to realize eighty-five percent of prisoners do not have no more than a fourth-grade education. So it's no it's no uh, coincidence that you have the third-grade law, where so many people are trying to. Um, uh, roll back. But, you know, you can't just keep passing these kids along because literacy plays a major role in almost everything we do in society. Everything. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about a 19 year old. I mean, I have story upon story. <laughs> I was a, a But before you go on, Vanessa, we're going to take a break. We're going to continue the conversation with Eric Brown. Uh, this is Detroit in black and white. Uh, we're new. I'm Wayne County Treasurer Eric Sabri. There are payment plans available to help save your property. Visit our website at treasurer.waynecounty.com or email us at taxinfo at waynecounty.com for further information. We're here to help. So what's the, what's the, what's the answer? The question is what I, – I, I like your uh, sweatshirt there. Uh, Thank you, what, Alan. What, what what is the answer? What what's where do we begin, and and what do you got? What are you doing about the the illiteracy rate? The answer, first and foremost, Alan, literacy is the most fixable problem here in America. The most fixable problem. And what I've been doing, I started a uh, an initiative uh, six years ago called the Five K Run Walk for Literacy Awareness. That I have had those events all over the country now. And it's just to bring awareness to the crisis. And you also have a movie that just came out. It premiered three weeks ago today called The Right to Read. Right. That movie speaks, documentary, that documentary speaks to the fact that how much failure has gone on, not just here in Detroit, not just in um, rural communities, but also in um, suburban communities west. It's not just an urban problem. One of the things I want to really focus on when I start doing my events I didn't want to I did not want to have it in urban cities all the time. I don't want people to get the impression that the their reality is based on the perception that all black kids are dumb. No, this issue impacts all walks of life. You have people out in California, even in Beverly Hills, soccer moms are paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars for tutors for their kids. And and some of it is caused by dyslexia. Is that is that uh true or it is. And since you bring that up, because the Oakland, California um, chapter of the NAACP, one of the, they have an eight point plan. One of their eight points is to address <clears throat> getting getting people assessed for the dyslexia by the second grade. 
And, but and that's something that's nothing. It's one thing that people don't like talk about. We go to our family events. We go to um, Thanksgiving dinner, Fourth of July barbecues, and everybody has that um, uncle or aunt, cousin or family member that is the entertainment. No, that probably, that person has a problem. They're not the entertainment. They either have a mental problem or they have a problem with regards to literacy that has never been addressed, and people choose to use them as entertainment and be the butt of all jokes as opposed to reaching out to help them. Right. And let me say this. Go ahead, Vanessa. Let me say this. I I do also think that because, as you and Alan have pointed out, that it may be dyslexia, a lot of that is overlooked. People don't want to talk about it. What they'll say is the student is special needs or special ed. And they'll put them, put another label on them, put a label on them. IED. So they have to, they walk around with this shame. When in fact, they just have to learn differently. You can't use the cookie cutter. Well, well, you, well Dr. Dr. Vitti. All unique. Dr. Vitti, who's the head I, of the... When I, was, when I was in elementary school, we used to have the bluebirds, the <laughs> yellow birds, and the red birds. Bluebirds were the ones that could read. The red birds was in between, and the yellow birds, they were dumb. That's what we used to call and, them. And, that, so and that's the terrible. Yellow birds up to the classroom. We started laughing because we knew that they they had a hard time reading a sentence. You know. Well, I was going to say the uh, Dr. Vitti, uh in I don't know where you know his, his reading capabilities in high school, or whatever. But he had dyslexia. Correct. He ended up going on, I, I think, getting a doctorate from Harvard or, or something like that. Well, so he got he certainly got something wrong with him because he should not uh, lead in the school district. You know, and not just that, Adolf. You talk about leading the school district. They are forcing these teachers to pass um, these kids. They keep talking about they keep talking about um, COVID. Well, COVID the, the numbers speaks to a problem in Detroit. Well, before COVID, you go out to Benton Harbor. Benton Harbor had a two year period where not a single 11th grader qualified for the minimum score to get into college on the essay, based on the SAT scores. Yeah, you know what happened in Ben Harbor because I was a newspaper reporter up there, and this is going back to the early 80s. They were taking the students out of Ben Harbor, the good students, sending them, they was going to other school districts. St. Joe's, the St. Joseph School District. Going to the other school districts, and all they got left was special needs students, and that was Ben Harbor. They could care less. All the businesses from Ben Harbor moved across the river to St. Joe, and they they left Ben Harbor as, as a ghost town, except for what, Whirlpool? The only thing that keeps Ben Harbor alive. So it's a, a lot of reasons why you you got these uh, low scores and people who can't read, uh, et cetera, you know. I, I think that one of the things that we all touched upon, but in particular, Eric, is this, is that he's talk about the school system. And I, I totally agree with you in terms of the educational system. A lot of this is generational. Your mother and father can't read. So how can we expect for mom and dad to teach their children to be literate when they're illiterate? Do they have any books? Listen, you have have to send them to school, right? You have to send them to school. And that very same system that we as taxpayers pay, we have paid the, the superintendent, the teachers, et cetera, they fail these students. And it's it's really sad. So it's it's just a, a vicious cycle. 
And it's really unfortunate. And you hit the nail on the head. Talk about. You hit the nail on the head, Vanessa, because, you know, you have the Dr. Martin Luther King quote about you cannot expect a bootless man to lift himself up by the bootstrap. You cannot expect an uneducated parent to be the educator of their kids because it's generational. You have a system that has been in place for years. I have a good friend, former teacher. He retired two years ago. He had a 15-year-old student that was having problems. He had the parent come up there. The parent, a 30-year-old mother, bought the grandmother who was 45 years old. So you're talking about 15-year difference between these individuals. He got so fed up that he told the parent, and he probably um, went beyond where he should have gone beyond, but he said, I understand why your daughter is so damn dumb. She get it from home. Because you had a 30-year-old mom and a 40-year-old, 45-year-old grandmother that just kept blaming the school district as opposed to looking at themselves in the mirror. Well, you know, you should be able to have a class where you bring in parents that can't read. Or, you know what, there's places that donate books and you can, you can ride around the city and ride around uh, <coughs> Metro Detroit and you can borrow books. You could, uh, there's the libraries, especially in Detroit now. How many libraries are still open? Well, <laughs> libraries ain't the problem, Adolf. The one thing that people do not do, the one thing that people do not do is rob a library. Libraries are full of books. You got book nooks all over the city. Those book nooks stay full because people are not taking advantage of getting free books and learn how to read. Okay. You know, it's like this. It's, and you go back to slavery. Um, Frederick Douglass, who's one of the greatest orators known to man, taught himself how to read. We have to do better. We cannot keep allowing a system that we should. We're doing worse. Black kids are at the worst of the at the bottom of the totem pole. Asians. Hispanics, Middle Easterners here in the metropolitan Detroit area, English is their second language. They are all doing better in the classroom than black kids. Well, you know, the other part of this, though, is is this. You just talked about the example of the the 45-year-old grandmother and the 30-year-old mother. The badge of shame. Nobody wants to say, I can't read. So they walk around with the shroud of secrecy. That they, that they are illiterate. And so we have to start making people feel like, you know, it's not okay to be illiter- illiterate, but it's okay to get help. It's I okay. Get a driver's license. Okay. Listen, people, I know people all the time. I mean, people drive all the time with no license now. They buy cars and don't have a license. They don't have to. The, bo- the bottom line is that we got a, 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 a this this problem is 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 like a disease you somebody going to have to find a cure for it and, and what, well, what do we do what are, what are, what is everyone out here who's listening what what can they do to contribute or or, or where can people go to get help uh, well, they can, they can contribute, Alan, by there are numerous. One of the things I have done with my 5K walks, I invite literacy programs out to be vendors at these walks mm-hmm. because you meet people where they are at. That gives people opportunity to get rid of the shame and talk to someone one on one and they can find out what uh, facilities are available, what opportunities are available for them. You know, you have Soar Detroit, you have Beyond Basics, you have Brilliant Detroit. Detroit Public Schools has two literacy um, 
adult literacy programs, one on the east side, one on the west side. The Detroit Public Main Library had to shut down their adult literacy program because of underutilization. You also have the Harris Literacy Project on the campus of Wayne State University that provides assistance for adults. How so do they get information in touch is out there. How do they get in touch with you, Eric? The easiest way to get in touch with me, you can email me at five, the number five, the letter K, the number four, at literacy, uh, the number four, um, at literacy. I mean, the number four literacy at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me and any information I can provide to people. I get it out to them again, the number five K four literacy at gmail.com. Uh, I've been doing me, work with a lot of that. our literacy organizations. My event last year in Detroit was on the campus of Wayne State University, co-sponsored by one of my sponsors was um, Beyond Basics, whose event I went to last night. But we also have to quit <clears> blaming <throat> and saying what's not happening for us. It makes no sense that the accessibility to get a book is out there for everyone. And we could talk all we want about systemic racism and all that. But at the end of the day, people got to take a look in the mirror and make that change on their own. You got to be like Abby Hoffman say, steal this book. You know, uh, he wrote the book and he said, if you can't buy it, steal it. Uh, you got to do something. Give that number, get that uh, email again. Yeah. 5K. I mean, 5K4literacy at gmail.com. The, the number four? Yeah, the number, number four. Four. Uh, Literacy. literacy spelled out at gmail.com. Okay. Gmail. Well, we're going to have you back on, Eric, because we're going to continue uh, to have this conversation and to seek solutions uh, on uh, how we get our kids to read. Now, I'm right? posting a movie, um, The Right to Read. I'm just looking to secure a location, but I will be hosting that movie for the community to come out, it will be followed by a panel discussion because okay. again, we just can't keep allowing our citizens to, well, not our citizens, the future is not. We can't keep allowing our kids to be um, pretty much in a school meal, no different than, when, you know, you have these puppy meals it, going around. Listen, you can't even join the military anymore because you know, when folks used to say, uh, join the military, you can make a career. You got to be uh, highly skilled in, in, in some of these areas. And, you know, even learning how to uh, fire a weapon. You, you, you got to know how to read instructions. And you got uh, uh, to uh, keep yourself from getting killed. Uh, so that you can't even do that anymore. You can't go to the plants anymore because a lot of it is automation. And, and you need to know how to read and write. So... I don't know what's going to happen to some of these folks. But Correct. Oh, you know, you're right. They in jail because they they be they be going from uh, school to prison, and because we got a system anyway. And Eric, speaking to uh, one more thing, Adolf and uh, Vanessa and uh, Alan, speaking to the uh, hoodie I have on. You know, there's a um, a good friend of mine, high school classmate. He has his own embroidery company, so he's producing these uh, this type of gear for me, be it a sweatshirt, t-shirt, or a hoodie. And he's doing that at no cost, pretty much. And a oh, portion nice. of every item sold goes towards the 5K for literacy what, what initiative. The that his company? What's the name of his company? JM Embroidery. Okay, where are you located? He does it out of his house. He lives in Mount Clemens, Michigan. Okay, that's fine. That, right. that, thank you. Air Brown. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks. Uh, we'll have you back on, Eric, and continue to listen to Detroit in Black and White. All right. Live. 
You All right, and now have- we've got we've got Ira Todd in our okay. studio. Are we going to bring Ira in? Okay, good. All right. I'll, 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 hey, Ira, thanks for coming on. I'll, hey, I'll give good Ira morning. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll do a little intro for Ira. Ira. Ira worked for more than 30 years the Detroit Police Department. Uh, most of the time, either on the gang squad. And then he finished up uh, for many years as a uh, detective in the homicide uh, division. Uh, Ira also has been a consultant for uh, movies like Beverly Hills Cops, uh, the TV show Low Winter Sun, Detroit 187 on ABC. Uh, And he also was actually part of a reality show on Stars TV called Wrong Man, where they investigated people who were wrongfully imprisoned and got them uh, new trials. So uh, before before we go, we take a quick break and then we come back uninterrupted with Ira Todd. Okay. Homeownership opportunities are rising in the city of Detroit, and there's a house out there that's right for you and your family. You don't even have to worry about credit or getting a loan. You can win a house for as little as $1,000 and pay for the renovation cost as you go. It all starts at buildingdetroit.org and the Detroit Land Bank Authority. Our auction and own it now programs offer a variety of houses and neighborhoods all over the city of Detroit. These homes are in desperate need of repair and new ownership. You can begin by going to our interactive map and detailed property listings to find the right fit for you. It won't be easy, and renovation costs are not cheap, but our compliance team is there every step of the way. We will help you track your progress and connect you with local discounts to save you more money. We have already sold more than 15,000 homes in the city of Detroit, and our inventory is shrinking fast, so you don't want to miss out on this wonderful opportunity. Start your home buying journey today by visiting buildingdetroit.org. Okay, so... So, Ira, one of the things we wanted to talk about today is about police reform. I mean, we keep hearing police reforms. We saw the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, and we keep seeing cases like down in Memphis. It's, it's, we're still seeing uh, cops killing uh, motorists. Uh, we're seeing people, you know, uh, what's, gonna, what's it going to take? To change and, and do we have a problem here in Detroit that we need to uh, have police reform? You know, I think the, Detroit don't have much of a problem like a lot of the other cities and major cities around the country. Because Detroit, I think the police and officers and the citizens got like a really good rapport, you know. And so you don't see a lot of that here. You know, so, I mean, it happens everywhere and it happened here before. But I think Detroit has a good handle on it, you know. But I think it's something. Oh, you're fading out. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to take time, you know, a bunch of time, a bunch of training. You know, we're going to need some national police reform, you know, on, on the use of force, things like that. We need to educate cops more. And we need to talk about cops' mental health. And we need to talk about citizens' uh, reform as well. We need to educate citizens on what they can and cannot do when they're approached by law enforcement. And then we need to teach law enforcement that. That old style of physical law enforcement is no longer uh, what we use anymore. And people don't tolerate it anymore. There was a time when people wanted you to, you know, kind of rule with an iron fist. And it was acceptable, but it's not acceptable anymore. I think one of, one of the things also that we saw, 
uh, particularly early on with the Detroit Police Department, is that there were too many white officers who didn't understand the black community. And so we changed that in some degree. But here we have in Memphis where there's, you know, the five main officers uh, are black. Uh, what's, you know, what, how do you, how do you read that? Is, is it the black officers are not relating to, I mean, do they, uh, what's, how do you, how do you read that situation? It's a culture thing. It's, and believe it or not, it's really not black about black and white. You might see a lot of, uh, you know, that kind of crime perpetrated by white officers because the majority of law enforcement is white, but it's a cultural thing. It's black and white, Hispanic, whatever color we come in, it's the culture thing. And law enforcement is taught, like I said, to be physical. You know, you're taught to basically have to be able to protect yourself and protect others. So when you get into a physical confrontation, you have to, you know, use force, the appropriate force, but you're supposed to de-escalate that force once you have somebody restrained. And I think with those officers in Memphis, basically they were put in the specialized unit it was, it was called, you know, the, the Scorpion unit. You know, they put these units together. They create these uh, ideals that, hey, you're the baddest and of the baddest. You're supposed to go out there and take the streets back. And what happens is you kind of let these guys go without a lot of supervision. And as long as the numbers are coming down, you know, and nobody's making complaints at the time, you know, it's a free-for-all. But as soon as somebody gets hurt and things happen, you know, like with departments, administrators, and commanders and stuff, they step back. But they're the ones who actually initiate those type of units and don't monitor those units enough to say, hey, look, you guys, I want you to go out there and be aggressive, but you're not to go out there to break laws or hurt anybody or do anything like that. We are going to take the streets back. There's a way to take the streets back. And we can educate and communicate with people on how we want to take the streets back and talk to the citizens and ask them how they want the streets taken back as well. But we don't have to take the streets back. Do we need to bring the gang squad back? And like in full force, because I I remember working for uh, the city, and I rode with the gang squad for a week, and I saw what they could do. And you know, people with the criminals who thought they was badasses, they start crying when when the gang squad (laughs) showed up and start kicking butt. That would we need something like that. And I, I think so, something similar to that. But, you know, I think it has to be communicated to officers. And you got to monitor these officers, too. You can say, hey, look here, we want to go out there and take these streets back. But we could take them back by communicating better with these people, you know, going out there, educating these people and saying, hey, look, at this is what you can and cannot do. And I think there's got to be a zero tolerance. It's getting to the point now where, you know, if an officer tells somebody to do something, they start, hey, well, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? I think there's got to be some kind of communication to say, hey, look here. This is a order. I'm asking you to step out of your vehicle because of X, Y, Z. It's a state law that you have to step out of your vehicle or you're obstructing some sort of justice. You're obstructing my investigation. If you don't step out of the vehicle, I'm going to arrest you. And I wouldn't say it another time. If the person don't comply, I think they should, officers should arrest them. And the statute says that we can use the necessary force to take, you know, to make the arrest. So I think people got to be educated on that as well and say, hey, look here, when an officer tell you to step out, you don't step out the vehicle. You're actually breaking a crime. Now, even though you don't think he had the right or justification to tell you to step out the vehicle, it may be some investigatory reason that he can't give you at the moment. You might be one of the suspects that he think that, you know, that, that he's looking for, or you may be in danger. 
But people but got in, to understand, in, sometimes in, officers don't have the time to in Memphis, tell you everything. I'm sorry. In, Me- in Memphis, we saw the guy get stopped. He's like, what did I do wrong? And before you know it, they're ripping him out of the car. They're throwing him on the ground. Uh, what could a when you when you saw you saw the video, what what could they have done differently? Or the guy says, "Hey, wait, he's resisting coming out of the car because he's like, what did I do wrong?" And they're just pulling him out and they just start beating on him. Uh, listen, I, I'm going to say this. I'm sorry. I, I agree with you, Ira, that you have to change the culture, and in changing the culture, certainly employing a group that's called the gang squad is not part of changing the culture. The word gang is negativity within itself. The way that officers communicate with people in the community has to change. I'm a defense attorney. Okay. I want to know why you're stopping me, sir. And I can Mm -hmm. ask you that question. Yes. I I agree with that. that question. You're not my parent. Okay. I'm not in the military. You're not my commanding officer. So the culture has to change. So yes. when you say employing the gang squad, I'm sorry. I totally disagree with it because for me and a lot of people in the community, it is negative. It's very negative. Well, I, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to stop this crime? What are you going to do? We have to remember, we have to remember that officers are part of the community and they work for the community. So there's going to have to be something, like he said, There, it has to be a change in the culture, not just with the policing agency, but with the culture, period. And, and you know, Adolf, I agree with Vanessa. I know exactly what she's saying because I used to make this statement before. If you think about it, at one point in time, we were called peace officers, okay? So we're supposed to keep the peace. Then we're patrol officers. We're supposed to just patrol and make sure things are safe. Then we started being called law enforcement officers. Now we're enforcing the law. You know, so I think it is something in the labels and the names of these units that you create. And like like I said, the Scorpion unit. But you can have a reactive unit out there, like she's saying, without saying the gang squad or some negative uh, label to go along with it. And, you know, and that's what I'm saying. We need to educate law enforcement and communicate with these people and, and, and say, hey, look, here, everything's changed. There's a shift in paradigm in law enforcement now. We have to communicate better. We have to communicate with the citizens. And I agree with Vanessa when she says she has the right to ask that question. But what I'm saying about in terms of citizens, we have to answer that question, too. But once we answer that question, we say, okay, now because there's some movement in the car, we have furtive gesture, we have some probable cause to believe this, would you step out of the vehicle? And you say, no, I'm ordering you out of the vehicle. A lot of people have to understand that order is a valid order. You know, after we disclose what we stopped you for and everything else. But there can't be a whole lot of back and forth because I'm th- I'm telling you that's when things escalate. Absolutely. And then and then officers who are burnout, overworked, you know, trained poorly, come come into the era where it's a excuse my French, but kick ass and take name era, and it's now it's a it's everybody's uh, being photographed and filmed and things like that, and people are, are saying what the hell is going on? It's been going on forever. It's been going on for the history of police department. It's like it's like there's a blue curtain up there right. that says you do one thing in public, and but behind closed doors, they say go out there, kick ass, and take names. We have to start taking responsibility and say, hey, wait a minute, that don't work anymore. Now, well, let me ask you. Physical, but we have to say that kind of thing don't work anymore, and we have to be honest about what we used to do in the past and say, wait a minute, maybe that's why some of these people 
that we were whooping their behinds when they were 17 and 18 or 20, even though they may have been gang members or criminals, whatever like that. But now they're adults and they're like, wait a minute, I don't want my kids treated like that. I don't want my young adults treated like that. So I think things have changed. I've changed over the years after 40 years of law enforcement. I came through the era where, hey, you talk smart to me, you get smacked in the mouth. But as I grew up in law enforcement, I learned, and especially like I'm, I've, I always give the story when I grabbed a 16-year-old and I, I smacked him. And he was a little gang member, tough little guy. But after I smacked this guy, and I had a 16-year-old at the time, I saw my son. And I realized this guy ain't nothing but a kid trying to act tough. And my whole attitude changed. So I wish somebody would tell me, hey, look here, guys, this is not the way to do it. You know, and we did change things. The law enforcement is constantly reforming. People talk about law enforcement reform all the time. But law enforcement is constantly reforming. And this is what we have to do is talk about the things that's done wrong so we can correct those problems, you know, in every aspect of it. So I think this communicating like this is the best thing that we need to do. All right, I have a question. Uh, When you were on the gang squad, it seems, did the gang squad become just another gang in the city? Maybe a good guy gang, but a gang nonetheless that was out there, you know, taking on the rival gangs who were the bad guys that you saw. But did you guys sort of become a gang unto itself? You you better believe it. Back in the day, when Colby Young would say, take the gloves off, or when Mayor Archie would say, take the gloves off, or when any of these chiefs and with uh, police would say, time to take the gloves off, we were charged with going out there taking the streets. Yes, we were charged with going out there. Things started happening where you would get a, a group of guys. So you got to understand this. You are a two-man unit, sometimes a three-man unit, sometimes a four-man unit. And you work individually out there in different areas. And some of those guys are just like anything else. You're going to have a corrupt unit. So all the whole gang squad wasn't somebody just go out there and arbitrarily start whooping up people and abusing their authority and things like that. You may have had maybe a handful, a percentage of guys that would do that. But you you would see it coming. You would see the complaints coming. You would see the guys that would get the complaints for like nonsense. You know, most of the guys is out there selling drugs and shooting at you when you catch them and you used to smack them up a little bit and, and arrest them and don't lie on them and, you know, confiscate their gun and don't kill them, things like that. Guys would tell the truth and say, hey, this guy didn't abuse me. But a lot of those guys start abusing just the average Joe or, you know, the average Joe give my heart look or something like that. And we have to monitor those kind of things. So wait a minute, this guy's getting in trouble. Why is he getting in trouble? Oh, he's working long hours. He's going to court. He's got family problems at home. Nobody's looking at him. Nobody's watching him saying, hey, this guy got a problem. This guy is drinking more. He's doing this. And now he's coming out here and he's doing some things that make the whole unit look bad. But when we put police in this one little group, it's not fair. It's, it's, it's a small group of individuals that make it bad for everybody. Yeah, well, well, Alan, we, we come to the close. Yeah, well, Ira, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks, thanks for uh, coming on. We'll have to have you back on again. There's always I, a lot I to hope talk I about. My mama, here. I get passionate about this. I hope I. Yeah, no, no. Uh, no. All good, you, man. You, 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 in a room full of talkers. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. So man, thanks, thanks, thanks a lot, Ira. Thanks, Ira. Thanks, you have a good one. Thank you, uh, side thanks, uh, specialist. Uh, for the uh, Detroit Police Department. Thank you very much. All and right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Us to the close of our show, Alan. I want to All thank right. uh, the treasurer from Wayne County, Eric Sabri. Uh, a lot of information. You uh, Listen, uh, 
It should be no reason why your house is in foreclosure because there's ways to get it out of foreclosure. Even if it's in foreclosure, there are ways to get some of your uh, money back uh, that you have put into your house over the years. Eric Brown, literacy advocate. Uh, that was a real interesting segment. Uh, yeah. Eric was great. Uh, you know, we got to have him back on. And Eric, Eric had one little comment about this thing. Being woke and ridiculous narrative is people thinking they are being victimized. Hell, even the loony left is realizing that defunding the police is a ridiculous idea. We'll be back. We had a little technical problems, but we're going to get it together and, and we're going to let people know where we are. And, well, and let me just say, I, I want to say one more thing before you, Alan. Sure. Sure. No reason that people should not have running water in their home. The abusman was on there. So, oh yeah, Bruce Simpson. Bruce. People can save their homes and stay in their homes, and people can continue to have running water. This is very important information. And can read a book about it. That's why they don't know about all this. Go ahead, Alan. Right. I was going to say that uh, for those of you who might have come in in the middle of the show or missed it altogether, your friends have missed it altogether. You can go on. It will be on the Facebook. Uh, it will be on YouTube. Uh, and it will also be on a podcast where any place where you normally download your podcast, whether it's Apple or whatever. So there's multiple ways to still uh, hear, hear the show today or tomorrow or whenever you have a moment, whether you're driving in your car or something and you uh, put it into your uh, radio system. So anyways, that's uh, just want to let people know that. So. Okay. That's the beauty. The beauty of the podcast and the beauty of the video cast is that it shows up in so many different platforms. And as Adolf says, we're 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 working on uh, getting into a studio, and so hopefully we'll we won't have, have even a cooler production. So thank you, uh, Vanessa Shitstarter Moss. You start a lot of <laughs> Alan Langer, Dr. Fauci's right. uh, great nephew. <laughs> and I want to say we'll be back next week. All right. All right. Unfiltered, whatever. You know, right. Detroit in black and white. See you All right. Week. Thank you, guys. Have a good 